Hello, and welcome to In Star Trek We Trust. This week, we are discussing Season 2, Episode 8 of Strange New Worlds, Under the Cloak of War. My name is Ethan. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Ernie Anderson. You're the host. This week on Star Trek, Under the Cloak of War. Ernie Anderson, of course, is the famous announcer from ABC from the 70s, 80s, and the early 90s. The reason why I was saying like that was because he there was a miniseries on ABC in 1982 called The Winds of War. And so he Ooh. would say, The Winds of War. It's all about World War II. It's supposed to be really good. He always seems to really emphasize those last words. So. He, he had every Everything he said, every title he said had a very unique sound to it. I mean, this is the guy who was like, you know, Saturday on the love boat. <laughs> Yeah, but I like the way like his voice kind of vibrates when he would say war, you know, the winds of war. It'd be like a little yeah. So they don't have voiceovers like guys like him anymore. That guy dude's my idol. No, they don't. They just have That's why it was jarring to hear it in the lower decks promo. Yes. This episode is directed by Jeff Bird and written by Davy Perez. These are all veterans. We've uh, listed out their filmography in the past because they've all had experience doing existing Trek episodes. So I'm not going to list out their credits again. So all right. Let's just say they've done some good work. Okay, cool. Now, something very interesting. Right off the bat on this episode, when we get, you know, they fill us in on what's going to happen and give us the information we need. We saw clips from season one of Discovery. That was we exciting. Did. We did. Yeah. Reminded me of that time when I was filled with hope. We saw... Well, I think we've seen... I think we did see some footage from the Battle of the Binary Stars in an earlier episode, too. At some mm-hmm. at some point we did. I, I know we did at some point. I think it might have... It must have been the first episode, because this is the last time the Klingon War was kind of discussed right so i would assume that's when that's when it was but no like no michael burnham or no nothing from like you know discovery's point of view really no. so yeah no again it, it go it feeds into my theory that i feel like they're kind of divorcing themselves from that show in some way right but we even saw pike in his um discovery uniform in this yeah flashback. yeah forgot how much i missed those uniforms too it, but it was cool how it set up, you know, the connection of this episode. And we saw more of the Klingon war than we did in Yeah, I've got to say, I mean, we you've heard me say multiple times, I think, this season and even on and off in the past was I feel like given that the Klingon war in the first season of Discovery was sort of the backdrop by which the season was set. I realized, like, there's not a lot of it we saw. Because Discovery didn't really take part in a lot of big battles. I mean, of course, we saw the first, the Battle of the Binary Stars. Then there'd be a couple of, like, squabbles. Right. And I, and I sort of came to this conclusion when, we, when there was that episode, uh, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad, the time loop episode. And Burnham keeps going to that party that they're having in the mess hall over and over again. And there's that one point where Ash Tyler is doing a toast and he's toasting to the many lives that they lost in the war. And I I remember saying to you at the time, I was like, I don't, I don't get that sense because we haven't really, we have, it's not like the dominion war where the discoveries on the front lines and we're getting this to see this firsthand. 
So it, it kind of, yeah. I right? remember there were a few times when Discovery did things in the war, but they were very much like, I don't know, they would say rescue people from a place or evacuate. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, they, they went to Kronos in the final episode of the season, or you know, and um, they, they sort of, they kind of took it on head on in the last few episodes of the season when they came out from the Mirror Universe. But yeah, I mean, when they talk about it being a Klingon war, I was, I was sort of in my mind thinking like, the defiant fighting in the dominion war right it wasn't so much like that so you're right it was um they felt like it was more like specialized missions they were like doing and rescuing people so yeah now that leads me to one major question i had about this episode we'll ask away okay or maybe a maybe it's an idea so we saw the war being fought and my feeling watching the war is why has war not changed since the Civil War for Starfleet? Because this felt like a civil war. <clears throat> uh, like our American Civil War. Yeah. If, like, what were they doing? You know, what were they doing that they were coming back like that? We didn't know what they were doing. Were yeah. they just marching they at did, each other? They open field? Right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they... It just I, seems I, like there are ways to fight. I was assuming there was some, maybe some ground war going on that we weren't seeing. I mean, there was clearly a battle being fought in the background, but it was like, in some ways, it wasn't clear. Like, is this a ground battle? Are they shooting at spaceships up there and they shooting back? Like, what? Yeah, right. I, I couldn't really ascertain what was happening. Yeah. For what purpose? Right. Would Starfleet have to fight a ground battle with well, infantry? Well, the planet they were on was sort of disputed. So I would think if there's going to be a ground war, that would be the best time for it. You know, I think there was a, I believe there was supposed to be a, there was a colony, the Starfleet had a colony on that planet. And I think that came under dispute between them and the Klingons. So I could see why there would be a... questions. Like, let's say, okay, so let's say Klingons are slaughtering your people. Wouldn't the first thing you do is beam them all onto a starship and then fight the war? I mean, I know I would. So the, I just had all these questions about the war that didn't make any sense to me. And then, especially when they even said, like, they just need more meat for the grinder. Like, that's a literal thing that they said about uh, Ulysses S. Grant in the Civil War. Mm. That, like, he just would, like, a meat grinder would just put soldier after soldier. And that's how the North won, was just they had more people to, like, I mean, then to be shot. There were some ground wars in the, when they in the Dominion War. There was some, you know, the episode where Nog lost his leg. I mean, they were in the ground. They were on the ground then. When, yeah, I, yeah. That's fair, but so I don't know. That took me out of it a bit because I was just too I think thinking well, about what they were doing. I can understand because I think people were just people were just beaming in, right? Incoming beaming transport, in. incoming transport, which was getting annoying, and I think it was supposed to be annoying. Yeah, yeah that was kind of cool. Yeah, because you just saw what the doctors had. To, who does they heard that they were like. It reminds me actually of MASH. Well, like they would that, hear the actually, that's in what, MASH, they would hear the helicopter and then they would know, ah, oh, man, the body's coming that's in. That's what I was going to It's funny you mentioned I was going to say that exact same thing. It was, it was like an infantry hospital, like MASH. I mean, where yeah. were those people coming from, right? I mean, so. Yeah. 1970s, 60s, 50s. So that was I don't, I think but, your question is valid, but I mean, I think it's like, it's a battle happening off screen somewhere, whether it's on the ground or in a ship. You know, I don't know. I, I mean, I could imagine if, say, it's like a bunch of ships in space. 
they could be damaged to the point where like they don't have proper medical facilities. They've got to get them down. Maybe some of these ships aren't even equipped with a sick bay. I mean, I think it could be any number of things. Yeah. Really. But so then another thing that comes with that is, and Benga said, one hundred million Federation bodies. Hmm. Has that been established? One hundred million Federation on the Federation side alone died in the Klingon War. I don't think they ever really mentioned. I don't believe that that number was ever mentioned prior to this. So Discovery was not Discovery was not very good at giving us a sense of like how far reaching that war was. I mean, I remember they they took over Starbase One. They had sort of sliced out a little bit more territory in Federation space, but that was kind of it. I mean, it wasn't. We didn't really. We only saw it through Discovery because, as I said earlier, Discovery was never really on the front line, so we didn't really get a sense of what the war truly was like and how bloody it really was so i guess it was really really bloody for 100 and, million and this show world war ii total on all sides well, obviously world war ii is one continent and one planet and one planet but yeah. this but i i will say i mean i think strange new worlds made a valid attempt at trying to shed some light on this a little bit and give us a little bit more i remember that we did complain at the time that like we wanted to see more of what the hell was going on in the war because it was sort of just very much in the background it was and it was difficult to again it was difficult to relate to because you know when somebody would talk about how horrible war is and how yeah sort of like not that indifferent than what nurse chapel said in this one where it says war never leaves you i i mean again i mean this it was another example because we we would say this a lot about discovery we would say show me don't tell me and i think and this, and this episode did show it did show so at times, at times, I don't know if they showed enough, but maybe, maybe at other times they they showed just enough. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So to actually argue against my own point, our whole point here was just to see what Benga and um, Chapel went through on the medical side of it. So. Right. Right. But and I think they didn't illustrate that well. I think the episode. So the episode, I feel like, takes a lot of cues from Deep Space Nine. I'm thinking particularly about an episode called Duet. But I'm also just thinking in general, like Major Kira being stationed aboard DS9 and just loathing Cardassians at every single turn. And now being forced to sort of in some ways sort of work with them. And this Klingon ambassador named Ra, who was a defector, is what they said on the show and Mbenga's and Chapel's sort of issues with him I thought were interesting but this episode kind of had to pull double duty we had to they had to first they showed us why they didn't like him and why they didn't want him being on the Enterprise while simultaneously flashing back to the origins of that so what was he doing during the Klingon what did they experience and I think the result of it, again, it was good, but I think it felt for me, it felt a little disjointed. So I, at times, I didn't really get a full sense of like what it was. It just seems like they're certainly scarred from war, but like pointing it back to him specifically, who oh, yeah, wasn't done in the flashbacks that they were showing. So like when he said. When they said, you know, you said to kill everybody that wasn't, what they say to kill everybody that wasn't Klingon or something like that. 
Yeah, anyone that wasn't is not a Klingon soldier is an enemy. We didn't. That includes Klingon civilians and humans, any human. I think I would have liked to have seen more of this from his side, from Ra's side, so I could get a better sense of who he was then. Yes, and also I feel that it wasn't, it didn't seem, it wasn't well planned how they gave us that information. It almost seemed like we had to, we really had to piece it together from things we were hearing Mm. and not in a good way, sort of in an underdeveloped way. I think if they, how do you think this would have played if they just dedicated an entire flashback episode to them in that time period? Um, I mean, it would have had to, you would have had to fill in a lot and establish quite a bit. Yeah, I think it would have been less effective. Yeah. Because I do think that the going back and forth served, kind of served its purpose. I just wish that, so the one thing I think could have been established better was the fact that the reason Ra was accepted by Starfleet was because he killed his captains. Right. Because they had committed an atrocity. Mm-hmm. So then when the reveal comes later that it was really Mbenga who did it, it would be better. But I feel like I sort of solidified that information that he had killed his own captains when Mbenga revealed that he's the one who really did it. Right. So I feel that that could have been explained a little better. Yeah. I, I also really i do really like the idea of a klingon defecting to starfleet and then later becoming an ambassador but i think i wish they played that up a little bit more in other words yeah and also i was never clear of who he was the ambassador to what from duration right to klingons because you have because if he betrayed his people Who's he ambassadoring? Right. Was it right? He assumed he was the Klingon ambassador, but then it's like, no, he's the Q, he's the Federation ambassador. Right. They still have Klingon ambassadors even when they're enemies. I mean, yeah. Yeah, but he wasn't because, right. which is why I do think it's kind of interesting, and it could have been played up more. I think what happened with him is that he was it was he's an opportunist. Yeah. He ran away because the two options are he either killed all of his captains which I'm sure the Klingons don't like that. Mm-hmm. Or he ran away while his captains were being killed, which Klingons would probably dislike even more. Right, right. So I feel like he was probably going to be ostracized or probably more likely killed by the Klingons. So he went to the Federation with this story because he was going to be killed by his own people. And I also, I think I wanted to get a sense of what his... I wanted to get a better sense of what his goal ultimately was. I said to you before we began this, I said, was he some kind of like a, was he on some kind of a crusade to do good and help people out? Or just, he seemed to talk up a a good game, but I think in watching it, I never really got a sense of what it was he was trying to do. I mean, you kind of explained it in a way just now. Maybe he was just wasn't, and he was just an opportunist, and that was it. Yeah, yeah. Because another thing is, he kept saying, "I want to help people heal." Right. 
people like you, Ortegas, people like you, Mbenga. But he never really explained how he was going to help people heal. He never tried to help anyone heal. He just kept insisting that he was going to help them heal. So I feel like that idea wasn't developed enough. I would have liked to have seen... Like, what if... Because it begins with Ortegas telling Uhura about what a horrible person he was. And it would have been nice if maybe he at least turned one person around. Maybe Ortegas. And she sort of... You know? Yeah, that would have been good. I really like seeing how pissed Pike was when he walked on the oh, bridge. And... I'll tell he you. Was... I mean, <laughs> I still re- I still maintain it. I mean, he was pissed off and disappointed at Ortegas like a dad would be to his own kid. I mean, that's kind of the reaction, the look he gave her felt like a dad disappointed with his kid. Yeah, like you're going to get it later. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But I think... You know, Ortegas clearly has some baggage there with this. And I thought yeah. to myself, does she have a story to tell too? Why are we only focusing on Mabenga and Chapel? Like, is there something... Or- seemed weird because... I don't know. She was talking about it, but I didn't realize she was there or fought in the war until suddenly... She, I don't know. Something about Ortegas' well, role. Last week, Boimler, when Boimler meets her, he says, Lieutenant Ortegas, hey, you're a war hero. Yeah, that's true. So, okay. Well, what is she yeah, doing? why is he only concerned about Mbenga and Chapel? Right. And then I think Una even says at one point, um, you know, oh, we have a lot of veterans on the crew. Right. I think, but I think we were talking about this. We were talking about something like this a few weeks ago. I like that it. Even though we know we're in the future, people are supposed to be enlightened. I like that we're still kind of in that original series void where like, even though even on the original series time, people are supposed to be enlightened. There's still sort of like some level of like racism or like grudge holding and like, and we're not quite where we are on the next generation. And I like that because this show could have easily adopted the next generation philosophy, but they still yeah it would have been dumb they try to make it more like the original series i mentioned that because yeah they talk about it's like later in the episode when number one comes to pike and says we need to get him off this ship yes yes because yeah we've seen kirk in the movies not being or having a real hard time working with klingon six undiscovered country i mean they kill a son yeah so um yeah it's definitely in keeping and and you know for all the people that say oh, original star trek was a utopian future where everything was great nobody had yeah. any hang-ups. but the th- and the thing is too pike number one spock they can't relate to this because they did not fight in the klingon war remember that scene with admiral cornwell who i we were talking i was talking about this on instagram with somebody somebody else the other day and i was like fuck i really miss admiral cornwell she was great um yeah. died in such a stupid way but yeah. it's when it's when they find Section 31 headquarters and her and Pike have that back and forth. And you find out that Pike has, you know, resentment for not being at the Klingon war. And she says, and she's, I don't forget her exact line, but she basically tells him, you were sort of our last resort. We wanted the best of Starfleet to survive. He was still out on their five-year yeah. mission of exploration and did not come back. So he did not partake in the war. So Pike cannot relate to this at all. There's a great book, actually. They wrote a great novel shortly after the second season of Discovery ended 
that goes into what the Enterprise crew was doing during the Klingon Wars time, and it's actually ta- it was actually taking a heavy toll on their crew. So, but I like that, and and that's something else. Like because Pike and his crew weren't there, I think we I think you could have had some rather interesting dynamics, maybe between like I like Pike a lot, but it's but there are times I feel like he's too sometimes he's too understanding. Right. Like I kind of wish he maybe him and Benga would have had a little bit more of a disagree like philosophical disagreement. Or at least Ortegas. Or Ortegas, yeah. Yeah. A little like he needs a little Janeway, you know. Yes. You know, Janeway, would, Janeway would call out her people all the time. Janeway, there's a there's a very there's a sternness about Janeway that I wish Pike has i mean maybe he does have it there just hasn't been the episode to write it in yet i think there was a really good opportunity for him to to sort of like really not go head to head but like have that sort of clashing of like kind of similar to kirk and styles and balance of terror you know leave any bigotry in your quarters yeah. in front of the bridge like something or at least have him t- talk to ortegas and be like you know like she could what say would, like, what were the words behind that look of being right. pissed off? I mean it would I I in my mind it would be something like she I could see her saying to him with all due respect sir you weren't here you didn't experience what I experienced and you know he could say something like you know the war's over Ortegas the war's over but like also like and you know be understanding but also be like you know Ortegas you're Starfleet Right, like yeah. you, you should in in some ways you should yeah. be, you should be, you know, beyond this, you know. So yeah, or we should just transport the ambassador into whatever. Right, exactly. That. There's no place. Well, I mean, hell, he could almost say that line verbatim to her at that moment, like you know, leave any bigotry in your court. There's no room because they're on the bridge with him, and he could say, "There's no room yeah. for this on the bridge." It's tough though because bigotry is like yeah. A Klingon did something bad, so therefore I don't like Klingons. But this one is more like this guy did something bad, right? So I don't like him, right? So it is a little bit more direct. But yeah, he was a little too understanding. It was, but I guess that's sort of you know every show is going to have somewhat the modern. I just i I want him as a character to have a little bit more of that, like a a little bit more of the because every captain in the past has had that where they where they, you know will have that talking to to that crew member and say and sort of express this one but also again have that sort of yeah like kind of somewhat philosophical yeah it can't be all making chili for the crew i know i know <laughs> well because that's, that's why it would work though because you know that like he's he's the most supportive and the most loving but when he's if they could also have them but when you disappoint him he's gonna let you know right I just, I think, like, when they had the ambassador in Pike's quarters and they're making, there was chili they were having, right? And Pike could see right. that Mabenga was not comfortable. And even, like, in the scenes prior to that where Pike was, like, you know, wanting Mabenga to come, I'm saying to myself, like, I'm sort of watching this out of frustration saying, Pike, you need to be mad at him. Like, I, yeah. under- like, I understand he was in war and it's war traumatizing, but, like, and I understand it's difficult, but like this is not the t- like you need to be stern with that character, with that doctor, and say, "Doctor, we have a mission to do here. 
Yeah. Yeah, you want to jeopardize peace between the Klingons and right. the Federation and prevent the types of wars that you had to experience? Like, that's the mission, to right. prevent what you went through. That right. would have been a good line. Right, and that would not be too different from Star Trek VI, right? When Kirk is forced to... And I mean, I didn't even think of this really until now, but it's it's when they're all sitting at the dinner table and Kirk is sitting... I mean, he's not sitting with the with the the Klingon who murdered his son, but to him, one Klingon who murders his son might as well be any Klingon. And Chancellor Gorkon has that one of my favorite lines in the franchise towards the end when he's going back to his ship, when he approaches Kirk and asks him and says to him, "You don't trust me, do you?" And he says, "I don't. Yeah, I don't blame you." And then he said, "If there is to be a brave new world, our generation is going to have the hardest time living in it." Yeah, it's such a profound line, and there's a lot of that here. I think. Yeah, it's very much. Uh, they were very much in the same situation as Mengo and Ra. Yeah, in in Six's case, there was a peace treaty at stake, right? But and this was like the potential for a peace. Right. Maybe this was planting in a way. Maybe this was like planting that seed. Yeah, and it's interesting because when walking into that dinner, Mbenga seemed to understand it, and Ortega understood it. Ortega said, put on the Starfleet face, and Mbenga said, it's a good face. Right. And, uh, you know, that was uh, that was good. But they couldn't do it. But the flashbacks were sort of the origin. It wasn't as if they slipped and said something. It was very much like Ortega just kind of was like, fuck you. <laughs> They couldn't keep the cap on their emotions for very long. And it was sort of, they were sort of basically saying, if I stay here another five minutes, I'm going to lose it. Yeah. And so that's why they excuse themselves, right? Um, but I, just to kind of bring the point back to that, I, I was disappointed in Pike and him not being a little bit more. He's again too understanding. He was too understanding. He was. He was. Yeah. Too understanding. I even said to him, "Like, you gotta fucking do something, Captain." Yeah. And he was, nah. <laughs> he kind of was like, "It's okay." Yeah, I think that was a mistake. I, I think, <laughs> yeah. Good classroom management, as uh, my, you know, superiors would say. But the flashback that we that we come back to every once in a while. So really, I mean, what it not only does it set up what they experienced, but it really sets up when Chapel and Mbenga first met. And, um, which I think was interesting. Yeah. yeah I think and it was we cool. got to see, um, what's his name? Oh, yes. Uh, Clint Howard. Baylock. Yes. Yeah. One of my, uh, I love that he's sort of, it's become a joke now because I think we saw him, Ironically, we saw him in the season finale of season one of Discovery. That was the last time we saw him. He was a, I think he was a, um, oh God. Ten. Yeah, he was some guy at this place they had to go to, like Ten. an underground place. He was, a, he was an, I believe he was an Orion on Kronos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think because like he's just still around and I'm sure he's cheap to hire. So they keep putting him in things. He's one of my favorite, he's like my favorite Star Trek character actor. Like he just pops up. Randomly, he he's not he hasn't been on all the shows, but he's I mean the original series of course I don't know that he was on Next Gen he did do a DS Nine, 
and then Discovery. I don't know if he did a Voyager or an Enterprise. I don't think so. Mm. Never did any of the films. So, but he's in it enough where you're like, oh, I know who that is. Yeah, he's such a um, unique looking person. Right, Ron Howard's brother. Yeah, you can't, you can't, even since he was a kid, he's been a unique looking human being. Yeah. So, yeah, you can't miss him. Not his voice, by the way, in the Corbett Maneuver, if you didn't know that. I mean, it was pretty obvious, but. Oh, yeah. yeah. That would be weird. So I think he was like, I think he was like, I mean, he was literally a kid in that. Yeah. So, um, but I think some were looking at this episode. I saw like the resolution of the episode, Pike's willingness to let go of the situation seemed similar to Cisco's actions in In the Pale Moonlight, which I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, Cisco did a lot of lying, had to do a lot of lying to get the Romulans to join the war. But um, here it's like there was enough plausible deniability. Right. It was not unreasonable. It could have went down the way they said. Plus they had a witness. Right. And the fact that he used the same knife that had the blood of the other people that it was commonly known that he killed definitely made it seem like he's the one who brought the knife to the situation. Right. Right. Now, I'm surprised they don't have security cameras since, I mean, I'm sure computer memory is not um, a problem, but... Yeah. Because they just like, ship, lo- ship movement logs um, confirm everything. I think the episode, though, did... I did feel like this would have maybe been something we would have seen on Deep Space Nine. It had a, it had a real DS9 feel to it. Like, this seemed like a DS9 type of story. Again, I mentioned in the Pale Moonlight just now, mentioned the other episode, Duet. So I think it had a lot of that, but um, yeah. Whereas uh, Transporting an Ambassador is the very next-gen episode, just a general right, right. idea. But again, even going back to Six, I mean, they weren't transporting, but they were rendezvousing with the Klingon Chancellor to bring him to a peace conference. Yeah. So, um, but I think... In a lot of ways, you know, the flashbacks were good. They were interesting. But I don't know for me that it fully drove, made a strong enough point for me to really kind of get behind the the drama of the situation. Um, yeah. I felt like I needed a little bit more to kind of fully buy into it. Like, this isn't, it's not like an Arium death situation, right? But I... And it's not necessarily a two-part episode either, but I just feel like I would have liked to have seen, uh, again, more from Ra's side and not just Yeah, I do side, think yeah. they do a good job of just showing why they were so frustrated, the futility of it. They can't save these people. They keep coming in load right. after load of injured people. Right. Have to just let some of them die. Right. Which that was another strange thing. They said, do we just give them a morphine drip and let them die? Yeah. That seemed... Literally, that's what they did in the Civil War. Yeah. There's no way they would still be doing the same thing. That's, as Bones would say, what kind of bar, bar, uh, what would you call it? Butchers. Yeah. It's like butcher stuff. Well, but, he, my God, man, what is this? The Dark Ages? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Who was he during all of this, I wonder? Yeah. I wonder if he was also a um, mm. medic. Um, what do you think of the Andorian SEAL Team 6? Cool. <laughs> yeah, I like. You know, I love Andorians. So. I love Andorians. Yeah, yeah. Just seeing that was kind of cool. Um, 
I do think that I like the comparison that you made that in a way it was, it felt a little bit like a mash episode, particularly with the surgery scenes. I mean, really with, that's all it was really the surgery scenes. Yeah. But did you feel in the relentless, in the relentless incoming injuries? Right. We just needed, uh, I, I'm waiting for somebody to create that mash ship. No pun intended. Um, with, with the, the, song, the theme song, with, with the oh, suicide is painless. Yeah. But I, I kind of felt like, as I'm watching this episode, I'm saying to myself, I feel like there needs to be more tension. And there isn't. Mm. Like tension yeah. and dissonance, right? And I just felt like it wasn't quite Yeah, there. you know what? There were, there were moments that I thought were going to go somewhere to create right. more tension. But they didn't. So when Spock was making the, I forget what it's called, but the Klingon coffee. Ractogeno. He grabs it. And when it was too hot, you saw like a moment of rage in right. him. Yes. Yeah. So I, that was going to become something and it really didn't. I thought that was a poorly executed reason to get him into sick bay, actually. Because they were in the mess hall for like less than a minute. Yeah, that's true. But yeah. yeah. Um, so it would have been cool if they had played that up where like you started to notice like, yeah, this guy keeps a cool exterior, but if any right. little thing goes wrong, he kind of starts to lose it. Because he burns his, you're right, He you're, that's a really good point. He burns his hand and like even some music kind of comes in like, uh, like, uh-oh. Yeah. And yeah, that didn't really didn't go, go anywhere. anywhere. It didn't go anywhere. Yeah, that's a really good, I, I in my three times watching it, I, I had that, I, I, I certainly had that thought every single time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that <sighs> yeah, the, I, I, I keep coming back to the flashbacks. I don't know that there was a again, a little disjointed. I think the back and forth between the present and the past were, was you know, really kind of taking me out of it. But I I don't know that I. I don't know if I'm supposed to look at Mbenga or Chapel any differently after this, right? I just well, now Mbenga, we know he has the most confirmed hand-to-hand -hand kills. Yeah, we know he was like a one-man SEAL Team Six. Mm -hmm. We know he's one of the. We sort of saw flashes of that before, right? But we know he's basically the most skilled fighter. Aside from like George O, I think that we've seen on Star Trek, right? Which is kind of wild. But he says that he'd rather heal than kill, and and now there's not much room for killing in, in Starfleet unless you want to join the uh, Section Thirty One. <laughs> now, obviously, this all culminated into a rather shocking conclusion. Yes, which the shocking conclusion of Star Trek. Strange New Worlds. Which I think was... This is what... I'm going to go back for a second and just re reinforce the point. This is why the, the end of it is actually why I wanted to see more of Ra's side of the past. Because I wanted to have more of a kind of substantial debate over like who was the one who actually did it. Who was yeah. the one who actually, because as you pointed out, there seems when he burned his hand, it was like, as he, and he got angry for a moment, but then he sort of was able to control it. Yeah. If, if we had seen a little bit more, like there's some resentment, some anger toward him boiling, ready to come out. 
combined with maybe seeing more of his stuff in the past, there could have been a more substantial, like, well, did he actually try to kill Mabenga or did Mabenga do it? Because I think everything we saw, even though it's behind this frosted glass, to me, it's obvious it's it's Mabenga that did it. No question. Out of anger, right. Yeah, whereas... The thing, the problem is that he was always too calm when talking to Mbenga. He never once lost his cool talking to Mbenga. Right. He was always so calm. Right. So this should have been like, maybe even when they fought, Mbenga could have like got the upper hand and he could have kind of like lost it and done like a dirty move on him or something. Right. You know, it could have been something. Because as I'm watch, as I'm reading about, you know, fan response to this on like, say, the Trek BBS, a lot of people... And this, is, and this is only after my first viewing. I was reading all of this. They were saying it's left deliberately unclear as to who did what. And and I'm like, hmm. so I go back and I watch it again because they, they're justifying it by saying that's why it's behind. Like you don't see it behind. You only see like sort of it sure. behind the frosted glass. But I'm saying I don't think the goal was to make it ambiguous. I just don't think they wanted to show Mabenga driving a knife through him. <laughs> yeah. I think they were yeah. just covering up the violence. Yeah. Like how could it? You, yeah. you have Mabenga brings the knife. Takes them so we're going to open it, yeah. What that the guy, even, all right, even if Mbenga pulls out the knife and right. the guy flips it away from him, right? That's still Mbenga's fault. <laughs> you know, like if somebody walked into a room with a gun and pointed it at me, of right. course I'm going to do something about it. We there's never a point in this episode where I question. I felt like, like, was the episode wanting me to question the ambassador's motives in some way? Because I never did. Right now, here's the thing. I think they had a great built-in reason. Yeah. If Mbenga had come forward, then, you know, he could have faced repercussions from Starfleet and from the Klingon. Maybe Starfleet would have said, oh, this guy is a war criminal. We're going to put him on trial or we're going to give him back to the Klingons who are going to probably kill him. Right. So, like, if there was some threat that Mbenga was going to reveal that his, he lied. Right. That would give him a motive, which he, I guess he sort of did still have a motive, but they never made that clear or talked about it. But then it goes back to, now after he, Mabenga murders him, I thought to myself, okay, now Pike's going to be really pissed. And then, <laughs> yeah, and I'm just like, oh my but, God. But he, he said it was self-defense. Right. Um, uh, La'an said that, you know, all the movement logs backed up his story and then you have Chapel saying I saw the whole thing and he came at him. Right. So it all kind of checks out as a self-defense situation. Right. But I don't so, I don't I believe I don't know. believe it is. I don't believe it is self-defense because I I, I I didn't believe it either. Yeah. It's all to me it's all obviously Mabenga. Yeah. Because Pike he didn't believe it, but also Pike knew he couldn't prove it. Right. And I liked it when uh Mabenga walked right up to the line of admitting it. They don't have any. They don't have any ring cameras on the Enterprise. <laughs> then what if what if he had what if he had killed children, not told other people to do it? What if he had done it himself? Would it have been okay then if I started the fight? Yeah, but he didn't admit it. Yeah, which is pretty good. And it's, I do kind of I do really like also that he says to Pike, "You know, you haven't lived my life. Uh, you have the privilege to see the best in people. Yeah, but I don't because of what I've experienced." That's a really creative way to address the kind of, again, the utopian future where, like, because in Roddenberry's mind, nobody would be like this in the future, but, like, you get around it by saying, well, I experienced yes. this. That's like 
Didn't Roddenberry not like the Klingons always being the enemy? Oh, I'm not sure. I don't know. There was a lot of things he didn't like. <laughs> yeah, I think he didn't like the fact that in the movies they always kind of became the I enemy. Think, I think in Gene's mind, only like 10 episodes are canon. <laughs> so, yeah. out of all of them. So. But here's the thing. Yeah. This is... So, we've been doing this podcast since 2017. And what I truly appreciate about reviewing this episode is that this is an episode that really promotes this kind of discussion. I like that we're kind of, I feel like in a way we're not, in some ways I feel like we're kind of debating the moral, morality of the episode. We're not discussing oh. like specific details, like look at this connection, look at that connection. I don't, you know, there's an overarching like, I like that we're just really discussing sort of the rights and the wrongs of it all. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know if, if, I mean, well, I guess that that does lead to an interesting question too, is yeah. would it be okay to let this guy keep doing what he's doing? Because in the long run, it could be good. Right. Actually, you know, so we could use Mbenga's own words against him. So Mbenga says earlier with the young soldier who, you know, just to reinforce the, the pointlessness of the war, he meets the young soldier, and then the young soldier goes out and gets killed. Uh, and the young soldier questions, like, why they're even fighting. But he says, we have to fight so the people we love have a chance to live in peace. That's Starfleet. Yeah. So this guy, as horrible as he was, is probably their best chance at having peace. And of course, you know, we know how this turns out because we saw the war come to an end on discovery but i will say it's making me want to go back and watch some of those episodes of discovery which but we also know that like things are not it's not smooth sailing with the federation it's not it's not but at all um Um, yeah so yeah i think well that's it here's the question then so if someone is a war criminal should you execute if they're your best hope at peace. I don't know. That's a tough one. Yeah. I don't know. Well, all right. Here's it. All right. I'll give you uh, all right. All right. I got it. I got a good real life parallel from history. Okay? All right. So obviously at the end of World War II, the Nazis, most many were, you know, the high ranking people. Many of them were put on trial at Nuremberg and hung. Yes. I never know what it is. Hung Judgment at Nuremberg. Great film. Yes, so they were hanged. But the ones that the U.S. decided would be useful for them, they took to the United States. And many of them became the foundation of NASA because they were scientists, uh, you know, that were making rockets for Hitler. Okay. And they they cleared them and said, you know, come to the U.S. We're going to set you up as a new identity and a home and uh, we're going to treat you well and you're going to make rockets for us. And, you know, we likely would not have gotten to the moon maybe in the way that we did if not for those scientists. So you'd like to see them do that with that'd be a real that's a really interesting story for Trek to like. So you're saying like when the Klingon War ended, do they recruit some Klingons or something like that? Like, do, or like, are there any Klingon defectors that yeah. end up working for them? Or like, was that a moral thing to do? These people that were avowed Nazis, yeah, to then say, well, it's for the greater good and for the U.S.'s interest that we, you know, get well, to space. So therefore, in Trek's time, how do you frame that into a Trek story? Because in, in, in don't forget, because even though the Klingon War may be 
may have ended, it was not the end of the Klingon Empire, right? This was that was the end of the Nazi regime, right? Yeah. How do you, I guess, make a Trek version of that while still retaining the Klingon Empire? Would it just be, be yeah? Yeah, someone that was like. Maybe, um, but I think it's a really interesting story. I think Discovery kind of tried to do it with that scientist for the um, Emerald Chain. Yep. Um, yeah, but you'd have to be someone that's like close to. Let's say he was, was ironically like, playing a Klingon earlier in this show, by the way. Uh, yeah. Say it was like Roz's right hand person that was like developing weapons for Roz to kill civilians. Yeah. And then they take him and they say like, "Oh, but he can help us. Whatever, make our." Um, yeah. replicators really dope so we're gonna you know yeah pardon them and and set them up nice so we can make us replicators or whatever i i i so i like that because it also as we've as has always been known going back to the original series the klingons and the federation was always meant to be a kind of uh cold war type of thing yeah they were and, yeah but I so I, but I like the I, I like the idea of like using post World War II history to tell a story like that. And as we have said, despite the fact that Stranger World is done today, they still very much in a way treat the world of that show like it was written from a nineteen sixties viewpoint. So I think that would fit in right on if you, if they did a story like that, I think that would fit on brand very very well. Yeah, I think that might be kind of cool. But yeah, that, that's sort of the kind of real-life situation that was faced where, for mm. the U.S. anyway, they decided it's more important to um, get what we can out of these people rather than just get quote-unquote justice. It was kind of like in the first episode of the season, right? When they had that planet that they would share for a few months in the... It was sort of... There was a... I had been reading something about how uh, some reviewer had said, like, you know, that kind of parallels the division of Germany after World War II. And building the, you know, so like oh, it's yeah. being split, and but it's also being shared by two, you know, so yeah, yeah. Also, the Middle East, yeah. Well, actually, no, the Middle East was kind of because the people that didn't own it anyway were the ones that were controlling it, like Britain and France, right? So, but they did have Jerusalem was called an international city because mm -hmm. they knew that. Everybody was going to fight over it, so they made it an international city. Which, you know, doesn't really didn't work, obviously. Right. So tell me your odds and ends. Well, yeah. So first of all, my my just my overall. Where do I come down on this episode? Hmm. I'm kind of surprised because I liked it better until I watched it again, took notes, and talked about it. So that's interesting. Um. So my odds and ends. I really liked Spock' kind of inability to handle his relationship, and like just kind of not knowing how to help. Which you know, when when you have someone who's going through something, sometimes it is really hard to help. Yep. But I do like what he does when he says, "Ah, oh, I can." When um, Chapel is complaining that, "Oh, I hear him talk about how much peace he's made, and how great he is," he says, "Ah, I can help with that." 
says, uh, ask him if he's read Sun Tzu's The Art of War and ask him to compare it to this Klingon writer. Yep. And he says, this is a most interesting topic of conversation. Because Spock nailed it on that one. That was great. I love that. I love that, yeah. Yeah, that was great. It had a very um, director yeah. Nicholas Meyer feel to it, the guy who directed Wrath of Khan in Star Trek VI. I mean, it had mm -hmm. that, yeah. Like, particularly in the dialogue. Like, I loved, I loved that. Yes. So, like, nice to see Spock being brilliant, in, even in little ways. Uh, I thought Pike's green shirt was great, because it wasn't the exact same green shirt that... No, Kirk but it was different, green. yeah. It was a more darker green, and it had kind of a higher crossover part, but uh, that was a great shirt. Hmm. Um, let's see, what else? I thought the fighting, the, the, the Klingon martial arts was pretty lame, honestly. <laughs> they needed to, We needed to see Worf there, yeah. Yeah, they kind of just grappled and then threw on somebody or like threw an elbow. But I will say with that, I like that, again, they're doing the Trek thing and, the re and reusing sets. I like that it was very clearly like Pike's quarters. They just took everything out. I'm like, oh, and, but it's the exact same room. And I go, oh, they're doing the Because they had like, they got these like weird like V columns. And I thought to myself, that's not a good place for that if that's a room where they're going to be fighting like that thing's in the way kind of and i said that must be a reuse of pike's quarters yeah yeah what did they use for the gym in the next generation i think it was like the cargo bay just with pads yeah. <laughs> and they and the original series i think it was like engineering because they had like the meshed screens and so nice. i think they just would put up a couple of extra walls and it would just become you see it in charlie x for the first time i think the, i think the only time actually I re and I really liked the ending on the visual metaphor, which I know we had discussed earlier and disagreed on. Well, I said I, with the bio bed, I thought, what's okay? What is this? What's going on? And I'm, and you told me like, oh, it's just that it doesn't work. And I thought that that's all. Like, I thought I thought there was something more sinister afoot, but not. No. Well, yeah. So he says he says because um, he's doing his closing log and he says bio bed two is working because he just fixed it. Yeah. That some things break in a way that can never be repaired, only managed. And of course, he's talking about his own yeah. mental issues because of the right. trauma. And then when the bed breaks, it's like letting us know he's gonna have problems. Gonna, in you know what? Yeah. It was. I think it was because it was such a. It was like a dramatic close up and like dramatic music, and I thought, is there a virus in there? What's going on? What's going on? Well, it was dramatic because it was essentially <laughs> saying. You know, Mbenga's going to keep having problems with this. I the fir the first two times I just didn't. Maybe I'm maybe I'm foolish. I just didn't pick up on that at all at first, and I just thought to myself, "What am I missing?" And then when you told me, I'm like, "Oh, that's all it is." Okay. I just I I think I expected it to be a little bit more because it was very it was very cliffhangery. Ra had left a virus or something. Yeah, like is <laughs> is we, is it like. Is it now like is Ra now like Lawnmower Man? Is he now uh you know <laughs> you know what what's so yeah. It it didn't it didn't because I think I've never seen Trek do something like that before. So it was just very I don't know. I, I, I thought it was a little bit more sinister than it actually was. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it. But when you explained it, I thought, oh okay. I mean, okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because that was, I guess. The whole thing is, can you put, or I guess it, they, they, by having that be the end, 
I yep. guess they made it seem like the point they wanted to drive home was this idea that like you can never put trauma behind you fully. Right. And as Nurse Chapel did say in the episode earlier, she says war never leaves you. It's yeah. you know, it's always in there somewhere. So um I do have a few odds and ends myself. Excellent. So um three actually. I know you're not much for Starship design. It was a weird looking ship though. I the know. ship in the beginning, the USS Kelsey May. Is that a reference to something? It's not a reference to anything, but what I loved, I loved, it was a very unique design. And it was clearly designed, like, it. it to, I looked at it and I thought to myself, that's the kind of ship I would expect to see during the Enterprise era. In fact, that's what I maybe would have expected the Enterprise and Star Trek Enterprise to potentially look like. But upon closer examination... The singular warp nacelle that it had is the exact same warp nacelle from the NX-01. So it's clearly from that era. But I thought that's a really, really nice touch. I really like that. Yeah. yeah. And again, I said that's that's what I might have expected the NX-01 to look like. Something like that. Who Maybe, is Kelsey? I don't know. I don't know that name. Maybe somebody historical. I mean, Trek ships are always named somebody historical. Um, well, I wasn't seeing anything interesting. Uh, the as I said earlier, what Pike and the Enterprise crew were doing during the Klingon Wars told in the Discovery. And I wanted to get the novel clear. It was called uh, the Enterprise War. Mm. Um, and really, really nice touch with this when they were messing with the food synthet- synthesizer. Did you? I don't know if you picked up on this. Did you notice that when the when it was materializing, it was making it made the exact same sound from the original series whenever they would uh, when the food dispenser would dispense food. It, it was like a yeah, yeah. And one thing I noticed too, it was like it's like a, the boats boats Wayne's whistle. Yep, sounds from the original series. Yes, yeah, so that was a nice touch too. But the thing I was going to mention really quick about the the uh, the food processor is so it's like it's like a bubbly kind of sound it was making and you know we always hear it multiple times i think we actually heard it in the core maneuvers strongly strangely enough but one thing i've noticed that they have used in this show a few times because it happened actually right after that when something is done they use like an egg timer bell <laughs> and they did it in this one and they did it last week in engineering go, why do they keep it's using like an egg it's like an oven bell like an egg ti- like an oven bell when something's done I'm like why do they keep using that <laughs> If it, hey, don't uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know. Well, they didn't use that on the original series. It was just it's a very it's a very contemporary, or even not even contemporary, but just it's like a very old sound that you would yeah. hear like from that I would expect to hear from like a, again like an egg timer or like an oven from like 1953, right? It was just it's very it's just very very strange. And I think I think even Discovery used it a couple times too, but. One, now that you know, obviously watching these shows in a modern sense. The you know I would imagine just like in the future they can probably do it now they can set they can set whatever ringtone or tone they want alert tone they want and that's just what they what they do yeah I mean, that's yeah so yeah it's like some people on their cell phone they choose to have a right. old timey phone ring and the first time that came to my attention really was actually in season two of Discovery it was the second I think it was New Eden. Burnham goes in to see Pike in his quarters and she the door chime and it's the exact same door chime sound albeit at a slightly lower pitch as Voyager's and that's when I thought to myself oh 
they could probably just change it the tone to whatever one they want and voyage you know they so they just use that one i just yeah. it wasn't something i ever really thought of but the that's where that idea was sort of uh you know came to my mind that maybe they're just sort of setting a uh a door chime sound so like when P- when pike came up when pike took temporary command of discovery he decided to change all the door chime sounds say no nah, i like this one we're gonna use that one <laughs> yeah captain's prerogative the captain's prerogative uh those are my those are my odds and ends so right. some really um nice continuity um and connections to some of the other uh shows in, in very um in very small ways mm. well next week oh hold up hold oh, up sorry sorry good good i just happened to find what this is a reference to yep kelsey may oh good who is it scientist kelsey memorial and bunnies save the bunnies fund help us celebrate the life of kelsey may Sunquist, who passed away suddenly and unexpectedly from an undiagnosed genetic heart condition on January 28th, the age of 32. Of this year? Yeah. And they were, um, she has a, they have a Save the Bunnies, um, Save the Bunnies memorial for her, according to someone on Reddit. That's what it is. For anyone wondering where the inspiration came, Kelsey May is my sister who passed away last year. She was a huge Star Trek fan and Strange New Worlds was one of the projects she worked on at CBS. Aww. After Kelsey passed, CBS let the family know that they would be honoring my sister by naming a ship after her. Oh. And then they put a link to the GoFundMe for the Save the Bunnies. Oh, that's very cool. That's really nice. Yeah. Oh. That's that's great. All right. I'm glad well, well, next next week is the uh subspace rhapsody the uh the musical episode of the season exciting yeah so the uh here is the sort of um the plot synopsis which says an accident with an experimental quantum probability field causes everyone on the uss enterprise to break uncontrollably into song but the real danger is that the field is expanding and beginning to impact other ships, allies, and enemies alike. Okay. I gotta say, so I wasn't I wasn't thrilled about the idea of doing a musical of them doing a musical, but at the same time, Strange New Worlds, if 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 anything, Strange New Worlds has a lot of goodwill for me already. And the show has not shied away from really just going for it and just really trying something brand new and out of the box. I mean, I think the lower decks crossover was a, was a big one. And this one obviously is going to be, I think in in a lot of ways, a big risk as well. Yeah. But as we have said many times in the past, and I think, and it, and, and it continues to be true this season that look, if the musical episode falls flat on its face, which I don't think it will, I have every reason to believe it's going to be great. But if not, all right, on to the next week. Yeah. And did you know that Celia Rose Gooding, who plays Uhura, is a Broadway veteran? I did. So yeah. at least there's going to be some singing talent involved. And I haven't, which is actually really cool because Uhura in the original series demonstrated on several occasions and even in Star Trek V, that she can sing. Oh, yeah. So, um, what 
I haven't listened to it yet, but I guess they actually released. I think they released officially released the track, the original music, the original song that's being put into that episode. It's got to be more than one original song, right? I would assume, but I think they've only released one of them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I wonder if they'll be doing. Well, because from the clip they said the Great American Songbook, so I wonder if they'll just be doing mostly covers, you know, like Great yeah. American Songbook songs, or if it will be. But you know, what, you know what I like about the idea of it being a musical too. Like, I like that it's a. I mean, first of all, it's a subspace anomaly that's the cause of it, which makes total sense in Trek that happened. But like, this is one of those episodes I could, I could have imagined them doing like in season one of Next Generation, right? Like some ridiculous yeah. thing like this, right? Yeah, but yeah. Like they would always come up with ways for um, Picard to be doing Shakespeare-like. Right. Things. I think I think it's going to be. I think it's like my assumption. It's going to be something like, say, the Naked Time. Like you know, they get, it's like a disease, and they're just it's just causing them all to act weird. I mean, this is this is just another episode in a long line of Trek episodes that have done that, where some subspace anomaly as it says or some kind of weird disease is causing the crew to do very odd things i mean when last season what was it like episode two or three when they remember they all got they all got that disease and they were like attracted to light mm. and they were like we thought to ourselves again like yeah it's 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 trope but like looks like it's gonna be like great they're going back to this this is gonna be a lot of fun so yeah it's a good trope and as as I've always said, Stranger Worlds manages to do it in with refreshing to refreshing effect. So, uh, I'm looking forward to this one. But I'll, you know, unfortunately, it's the penultimate episode of the season. We got one more episode left, and um, it's weird because this one, being called Under the Cloak of War, they were planting the seeds in the first episode of the season that a war with the Gorn could be brewing. Mm, so I thought I thought the title of this was sort of a was sort of going back to that idea but yes i would imagine the finale of the season might revisit that idea hopefully it is interesting that we got the crossover episode with lower decks then we got the super heavy episode and now we're getting the musical episode right it's like they're sandwiching lighthearted episodes around a war episode. but that's but think about it. i mean that's what that's what trek did i mean that's just kind of how it's uh so I think it's great. And I'm just, I'm very, I don't know if you want to talk about this because I'm certainly going to, I think I'm certainly going to give the context to it, but if you don't want to, we don't have to, but um, the show really ever since the lower deck crossover, but even before that, the show is getting a, like an amazingly amount of positive buzz this season. And it's actually, I was reading somewhere last night that strange new worlds has appeared twice this season in the top 10 most watched streaming shows. Interesting. Yeah. So Interesting. the... the how terrible it is. Well, the, and for those listening, th- this, when I mentioned, you know, what I wanted to want to talk about, you would tell, you were, before we began ta- doing the show today, you were talking about how you found some ridiculous hater comments and i don't know if you want to bring those up i mean how can you not now that i i mean you gonna say no <laughs> yeah so we used to do any long-time listeners though we used to do yeah. haters corner on discovery until we became haters ourselves <laughs> we're not haters yeah. but we we're, we're criticizers yes yeah. um so i thought so i just out of curiosity today i i was looking around usually i would go to youtube comments for um 
to find the haters. Yeah. I found this video and it was pretty short, so I watched it and they had a lot of complaints about the show. One was that there's too many women. Literally, they frame this as like a serious critique. Too many women. Too many. Yep. The women sometimes talk down to male characters, even though they were higher ranked. So, you know. Um, but let me see if I can. I mean, we get some of the classic stuff like Star Trek ended after Enterprise was canceled. R.I.P. Star Trek. Yeah, we've been getting we've been getting that for you since the first Abrams film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this one else is saying that like no one on the show is professional and none of the writers ever had a real job clearly and then they say that, that indeed they're just cuddled college kids with a gender studies degree wow wow yeah. now, they, don't, now, they don't cite examples for any of this though no. they just say it yeah, gender studies, like, that's just a classic, like, liberal suck thing to say. Yes. Gender stuff. Yeah. Um, this is an interesting one that is stupid. <laughs> the irony of it all is that old Trek, up until Enterprise, was about showing an idealized future, different from our reality. But modern Trek is all about scrapping that and translating all modern grievances and attitudes to the series' future. Now, this is a classic thing of, like, why are they talking about real world issues on Star Trek? It used to just be about the future and how great everything was, which no, it wasn't. We haven't picked this one apart in a while, so maybe right. we should. Well, I think for me, that's when I hear something like that. That's clearly somebody who didn't watch the original series, because I think even though the subsequent shows talked about real world issues, I, I would argue that the original series did it the most. And I think in a, and they weren't subliminal about it. They were very like, they would make real world references. I mean, when Kirk would say things like, do you remember the 20th century brush wars on the Asian continent? Well, everybody knows he's talking about the Vietnam war. He's just not saying yeah. Vietnam war, but that's obviously what he's talking while about. It was going on. Next generation. And even Literally, the shows we said that while the Vietnam war was raised. exactly, exactly next generation. And, and so, and looking at it that way, like that's, they did that. They, they would do it that way because the network didn't want them talking about current issues. So by setting it on another planet, on another world, and talking about it in very ambiguous ways, because Kirk could say the 20th century brush was in the Asian continent. Okay, yeah. as far as NBC knows, that could have been a, that could have been something that happened in the in the 90s, right? Not you know, maybe yeah. what I'm saying is it could have been Korea, right? Those things, those are the things that go right over the network's head. Ironically, I think Next Generation and its subsequent spinoffs did the same thing only they were much more ambiguous about it and it went over people's like that head they don't yeah. realize that oh they're actually they don't know that yeah that's fair yeah because yeah. the original series but i mean it used to be more subtle <laughs> the original series is the it's just interesting to say yeah like oh it used to be because whatever they're talking like that i always assume that like the primary thing they're talking about is the original series Right. Which obviously was very no. direct. I, in, in recent years, I have come back, I, I have come to the realization through YouTube comments and uh, forum posts and social media comments, newer Trek fans who, they don't like the original series. And some have even gone to the point where they say the original series is not good when it's 
which which hurts my heart to say that because I I should the thing is I should be I should be that person because I you know the original series was was off the air for like you know practically 20 years when I came around and I and that was the first Trek show I gravitated toward you would think that I would have gravitated more toward the next generation because at the time it was more modern and you know all the spin-offs but I watched the original series and being that I wasn't around at that time, I still knew what they were talking about, and I still gravitated. I liked the way they did that, and but and you know, let's keep in mind they didn't do that in every episode. No, no, right. No. So, and and I'm not trying to say, oh, I'm smarter than this person, I'm more open minded than this person, but like, I don't think that they, when you don't watch the original, I, I just I have to say, like, when you don't watch the original series. That hurts me because that's because re- that's the one that started this whole thing, and that's that's the show that every show is riffing off of, more or less. Yes, yes. and also to say that I mean, essentially, what they're really saying is like, and you could it, they 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 sort of show their hand when they say all the writers have gender studies degrees. They're really saying like the show's too liberal for them, right? Which in a show that always in every iteration. Right. Except maybe Deep Space Nine was about, but even Deep Space Nine, I mean, it had money, but was about a future where there was a society where there was no more money, capitalism was gone. Right. Um, there was you know equality for everyone in this federation, not only of races but of species. Right. Like it is a liberal wet dream. Totally. Right. And it always has been. And- so the, the, that's always the one that. Anytime someone says like it's too, you know, to use the current lingo of what liberal means is woke, too woke. Right. And it's like, have you watched, it's like, have you watched Star Trek before? Like, yeah, like that's, and I've seen various documentaries. They would say like, you know, Roddenberry who did the original series and then the next generation. Right. I've seen it said variations of the said many times that said the Roddenberry vision was perfected on the next generation. Yeah. No money, very little religion. Yeah. So actually, this generation is probably like the least religious. Like other other like planets, they meet have religions, but right, they don't have religion. None of the Enterprise crew. DS Nine is the most religious. Yes. Yeah. So yes. people like that. That, I mean, to me, that's them not fully understanding what star trek truly is right that's it's a show that talks about issues like that it's just it sounds like a i sound like i'm making a joke but next generation and its other shows were more subtle about it the original series was far more direct and on the nose because as you say it was happening in that moment exactly they were talking about vietnam while vietnam was happening they were talking about racism right like just a couple of years after the civil rights bill was passed right and you know let's let's remember this too the original series comes from the same era of television that the twilight zone comes from and outer limits which did the same type of storytelling which did the same sort of thing yeah right yeah as the original it comes down to an attitude of like well things i like aren't liberal because I like them, so I can like not pay attention to that. But then things I don't like, those are too woke, and that's bad. Yes, 
Totally. That really is what most of the comments come down to. Yeah. So it, it, I, it, I get disappointed when I hear those kinds of things, but, but again, those, they're just saying that they're not citing, like, give me, give me a specific example of people to back up your points. And I'm not even getting that. So if you put a little bit more thought into that, other than just saying, yeah, well, it was I mean, in fairness to the video, the video did yeah. show things to back up. It's point. like they had a picture of a scene where there were a lot of women. Yeah. <laughs> and that let them say it was too many women. What's too many? Three? What's enough? Yeah. Yeah. It was like, yeah, just too many. There's just, I find faults. Yeah, you know, probably, let's see, we got number one. We got La'an as far as like, you know, we got Ahura. Yeah. We got Ortega's. We go, but anyway, like the whole thing was basically saying, like, clearly there's bias in the casting. The chief engineer. I mean, yeah, now, I mean, we've had two chief engineers, one was male, one right. not. But I'm not going to. There's like a slight. I could. Slightly more women than men. I could go on and on about that, but at the same time, what difference does that make? It, like, that implies like there needs to be some sort of limit. Yeah, the, I mean, and, and how many should there be? The only good backup they could have used, which they yeah. didn't, would be if they pointed to the original series when Bone says, um, "Ah, women once they get married, they leave the, the they leave Starfleet." Dude, I'll tell you something, and it's just because I don't think in these terms. It somebody, I've seen somebody else point that out, but in a much more complimentary way to say, like you know, I think some it was on the Trek PBS, I think, where somebody said, um. Strange New Worlds, I think, has the most women in its cast. And I thought it was like, really, does it? And it just it never even occurred yeah, to me. And I was like, oh, wow, it does. I didn't realize yeah. that. But I, don't, but I don't go looking for those things. And even if I do, right. I'm not looking at it saying, what's wrong with that? Like, it just it didn't even occur to me. Right, because to us, it doesn't seem out of place. Because of the world it's set in. <laughs> right, and because... And I'm just, I don't, I'm not misogynistic. Yeah, I don't think that way. <laughs> It's like we've seen we've seen women in all of these positions across mm. all the treks. So to see them all in one place in those positions, it's like that's okay, great. that's fantastic. That's not weird. Yeah, we've seen a security. We've seen a head of security that was a, a woman already on Next Generation. Right. We've seen female captains. Janeway, uh, the Janeway, the Michael. First, the first episode of Disco. I mean, if that had been the series, yeah, you would have had Giorgio and Michael as a first officer. I remember saying to you, I, was, I said, I want to see that series. I want yeah. to see that. Yeah. Didn't we see? We saw one in the movies too. I know. Um, Star Trek had a security. So pilot. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we had a pilot because wasn't um, Kirstie Star- Alley a pilot? Kirstie Alley was a. Uh, she was a lieutenant in Wrath of Khan. Yeah, she wasn't okay. a captain. She wasn't a captain. I think. Well, was she a pilot? Was she? A, was she like the one who flew? Thing. Na- navigator or con i mean she she yeah. sat next to sulu yeah i get those two stations mixed yeah, up so. one's a navigator one's the con yeah i think, so it's, one of those yeah. Two. I, think the, I, I i may be wrong about this i think the first time we see a woman captain in the franchise could very much very well be um the captain of the saratoga in star trek 4 played by mage Maj sinclair that's the ship that encounters the probe and then it kind of gets you know, thrown oh, off yeah. to the side. I believe that's the first yeah, what, time. In what year was that? 1986. 86. 86, yeah. Yeah. So it was 40 years ago? 
almost roughly rough almost yeah i i and they were just there to kind of set up set up the plot they that was they were in the first scene of the movie and we see yeah, them, yeah. we see them one more time but yeah. i i believe that's the first time we see one yeah we see one. Play. I mean, women make up 51 percent of the society of, of our of america right 51 percent, and for there to be like 60 percent of the high-ranking crew isn't that weird i just is it weird enough to comment on honestly yeah i i when somebody pointed that out i just thought oh that's cool i i didn't even it didn't even occur to me because like i said i don't go looking for those things and that me looking for those things i think even implies could imply something else but i just i just thought like i never thought about it it never it never entered my mind never entered my mind so oh yeah we had a medical on next gen also being woman beverly and and was temporarily replaced by Dr. Pulaski, another female. So, I, I just I don't see that as a negative. So what? I mean, and and that's a good. You know what is that's the kind of thing. And I'll stop after this. That's the kind of thing where I say to myself, and you call yourself a Star Trek fan? Yeah, because that that goes against the Trek philosophy one thousand percent. Except maybe the original series, which is pretty sexist. Well, yeah. Uh, one of the other things was they said Spock is too stupid in this show. How? Because uh, they honestly, the example that they put up was because he didn't know, he couldn't come up with a good um, way to make the ship go, and he said like, "I want the ship to go." That was the one. That was the clip they showed to say that like it's, Spock is stupid. It's not stupid. It's awkward. It's Spock. It's supposed to be awkward. Yeah, and he was the butt of many jokes throughout the series and the movies. This okay, he was often, he was often the the like comedic relief. This proves my point that now, of the current Trek shows, this is the one I've seen the least amount of negative speak for. Now I don't go looking for it. Yeah, I I, I saw it, but this it proves my point. I, I've seen some of it. But and it's all it was all written in the same vein as that. Really, you're just really, really, really reaching. You can't make any concessions. You just can't admit. They're just they'll they'll criticize anything, no matter how ridiculous it is. They'll just keep keep reaching for something to find. Yeah, yeah. One thing they did say, and I did agree with, is that Kirk is miscast in this show, which that we both agree with. Uh, I'm I'm not I'm I'm not totally sold on him yet. I mean, like I said, we've only seen the real Kirk once, and we got to. I I have to. I still the jury is still out on that one for me. Yeah, so far I think I don't have him, but that could change. Well, anyway, also I mean, casting Kirk James T. Kirk is probably not the easiest thing to do. It's a very difficult role to cast. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, yeah, third time. Well, great. So, Subspace Rhapsody next week. Subspace Rhapsody. Where we will be singing our entire commentary. Oh, well, I uh, hope you have a good time. I ain't doing that. <laughs> I, have, I have a question. Who are you going to get to uh, play my role for that? If only we could sing. I mean, I can't sing. I have my guitar. Great. Well, 
Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.